Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. Okay. Uh, You should be getting clarity that Paul was writing to rebuke the church in Corinth. You realize that, right? And uh, he wants to correct. He wants to correct what he's seeing. And what he sees is a church that is carnal, struggling with carnality. And they couldn't get their focus right. They were divided in factions over personalities within the church. And they were consumed with worldly distractions that were seeping in from the world around them. But let's not be so proud as to judge, okay? Uh, This is us. This is us as well. We're no different in our temptations. And we are just as likely to divide. And we are just as likely to be preoccupied with the world. Right? You know that. You know that about yourself. Okay? So let's humble our hearts even now. And recognize the fact that we struggle with all the stuff that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians. Over the last few weeks, the study has been teaching us about the dynamics of Christian life. Right? That's what we've been referring to the the sermons in chapter 3 as. As sermons over dynamics in Christian life. And we're uncovering the ways in which we should understand and perceive our relationship to the mission. We talked about how the idea of a dynamic is the way in one, uh, which one functions in light of a framework. And God's word has given us a pattern for Christian living. But what we've been talking about specifically is how we ought to behave ourselves in light of that pattern. In light of the teaching of God's word. What's it look like for us to live it out? And so dynamic number one was the dynamic of spiritual growth. And the first part of this chapter gave us a vision for our inward man. Okay, how to, how to develop the inward man. How to, to, to grow in a, in a path that God has given us. How we are to cultivate spiritual maturity. Which is not always an easy thing to do. And, and the truth is that our world uh, would tell us, that our Christian culture would tell us, that that happens through quasi-Christian pop psychology, self-help mumbo-jumbo. And what, what the uh, you know, secularized church is telling us is that if we, if we do enough Christian activity and if we work hard at uh, improving our, you know, our, our cognitive well-being, that somewhere along the way we're going to have a, a pleasurable and peaceable life and we'll find the happiness we're looking for, and that's not true. Spiritual growth comes one way and it, it comes a hard way. Okay, it comes hard. It's, it's going to require you learning from God through his word. It's going to require you putting your hand to the work of ministry and growing uh, through walking in a discipleship lifestyle. And so the questions that we asked are, are we concerned about progressing in our faith and knowledge of God's word? Do we desire to be mature? Are we moving forward in the path of growth? And that's what we talked about in our first sermon from chapter 3. The next dynamic that we talked about is the dynamic of spiritual investment, and that's outward. Okay, The second part of this chapter gave us a vision for our outward work. Are we concerned with reaching and discipling the lost world? Are we concerned about those things? 
Do we recognize that we have a part in the ministry of Jesus Christ, in the ministry of reconciliation? Do we see ourselves uh, as Christians that endeavor to do exactly what God has asked us to do? All right, we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Uh, Today we'll be getting into talking about a vision for our eternal outcomes. So the focus now will be eternal in nature, and we'll be addressing the dynamic of spiritual legacy. Right? Who doesn't want a legacy? Right? Who doesn't want to receive a legacy? And who doesn't want to bestow a legacy? We talk about legacy a lot. Um, when I think of legacy, I think of the Chicago Bulls through the 1990s. Okay? And, uh, and there's a legacy. There's something that's left behind. So much so that Chicago Bulls fans, even today, spend the majority of their time remembering the good old days thinking about, dwelling upon when things, times were better. Right, Greg? Where are you at, man? I need an amen. And so that's hard. That's tough. But, but, but who doesn't want to, to leave a legacy behind? And so the question for today's sermon is, what does my life amount to? Probably the biggest question you could ask, I guess. What does my life amount to? I think a lot of us, if we were honest, we lay in bed at night contemplating that. And what will my life, my life amount to? You're, you guys are young enough where you still have, you know, a lot of life ahead of you. And you're considering who you're becoming. Is there a method of evaluation that will ensure my life has meaning and value beyond my death? Is there a way in which I can evaluate my life and consider who I'm becoming And what I might leave behind. Is there a way, is there a filter by which I can compare my life or put my life up against so that I know that the next 40, 50, 60 years of my life, maybe not my life, I'll be be gone way before before that. 60? Can you imagine? I'd be 100 years old. (laughs) I'm speaking for you. Okay? 40, 50, 60 years from now, you can look back on your life and say, I lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord. I lived a life that when I pass over to the other side, I can stand before the Lord blameless. That's a big deal. So the dynamic of spiritual investment is what we're going to be talking, sorry, spiritual legacy is what we're going to be talking about today. Let's pray and we will get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we are, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for your word. Um, What you've given us in your word far surpasses uh, anything that we could ever discover in our colleges, anything we could ever learn from, from reading the library of men by studying history. Just nothing compares. Nothing compares. Your word is truth. And when we read truth, it cuts to the heart of the matter, and it separates us from the carnal thinking that we are so inclined Uh, to indulge. And so, Lord, we pray for your help today, that your word would pierce us and that it would teach us a better way and that we would learn that we can live a life, without doubt, live a life that is a blessing to you and will leave a legacy and will will ensure uh, that we have a life that amounted to something. And, Lord, we know that there's a lot of people that are pursuing their passions And they're going to school to get degrees, and they're investing time and energy into humanitarian causes, 
there are people that are concerned in this room, concerned with social justice, and they want to help. And they, they want to do something that has meaning. Uh, but the truth is, there's no surety that, that even a life devoted to social justice will amount to anything in eternity. It could, it could very easily burn up and become nothing before a holy and righteous God who's given us a very clear agenda. And so, God, I pray that all of us would, would recognize whether or not we're wasting our life on fake mission, on imposter, imposter justice. And that we would recognize that there is a way and there is justice uh, found only in your word and pursuing you. So help us to see it today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's read starting in verse 8. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. And ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is, that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath build, uh, built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now last week we discussed the concept of planting and watering. And we define planting as being the investment of the gospel into the lives of the lost. And so when we're doing the work of planting, we are going and finding the lost people in this world that make up the majority population. We are going to them, we are finding them, and we are delivering to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our objective is, in planting, to see people converted away from their sin, away from a destiny of hell, towards the light, towards Jesus Christ, and an eternity with him. That's the work of planting, and it is critical to every person's ministry in this room. We also discussed watering. Watering being the investment of God's word into the life of believers, people that are saved with the intent that they would grow in their conformity to Jesus Christ and in sanctification. A greater and greater holiness, a greater and greater lifestyle of righteousness. God has made us righteous through Jesus Christ and salvation, but he is also working in us righteousness through sanctification. And the work of watering is the work of investing God's word into other people, edifying them so that they might grow and become more like Jesus Christ. This is the work of discipleship. And as we studied this last week, we discovered that as Christians, we are all responsible for contributing to this work at all times, planting and watering. That's what we're called to do. And as a team, we are all laboring together with the Lord who is bringing the increase. Does that sound familiar? Now, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, is what the text says. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husbandry, ye are his building. Uh, we are laborers together. Our salvation, listen, was also our recruitment. 
Our salvation was also our recruitment. We are to be laborers. The day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior was the day that we were recruited into an army, into a husbandry, into a building project. And we are called to be laborers together for the name of Jesus Christ, for his namesake. All of us, every one of us. And I know in this room there are people that have only just recently accepted Jesus Christ. And the idea of putting yourself to the work may seem daunting. But even you have a place in this work. Even you have family members and coworkers that you can go to and you can share your testimony and you can declare to them what God has done in your life. Even if that work has only just begun in you. You have things that you can share. You have things that you can tell. And, and you have the ability to apply yourself to this work. We are laborers together and you've been recruited. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the first thing you need to know is that your salvation didn't come by the things that you did. It was a gift of God. But check this out. At the point that you become saved is the point at which you put yourself to work. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. He is working something out in us. And so we represent God's work in this world. But at the same time, we are called to good works. And we are supposed to do good works. And those good works ultimately please the Lord. And they are the labor that we're talking about. I did a word study with Shepard last night on good. Shepard's into word studies all of a sudden. And so we looked at this idea of good works. Can you imagine at 10 years old doing word studies? I love it. It's so awesome to watch, man. It's so, it's so amazing to see him desire God's word. This isn't something that I taught him. It's something that he's learned just by being a part of this church is that he is responsible for studying God's word. But we looked at this idea of good works last night. And we talked about the fact that in Hebrews, we were looking at Hebrews in particular, uh, chapter, chapter uh, 13, uh, 11, I think, is where we were at. And he was, he was interested in this idea that he, as a 10-year-old, can do good works. And I have to say, I don't, you know, I don't, it's not a pastor's job to stand up here and, and talk about his family. But I do want to say, I'm seeing in my son a laborer. And just recently, him and Phoenix, uh, Phoenix Bustos, and Joseph Fitzpatrick, um, and who else is in that crew? I'm missing somebody. Okay, but those those guys they go to school together, and they've been witnessing on the playground, and they've led two kids to Christ. Ten year olds, okay. ABC, Jesus loves me. That's it. That's what they know. And. Uh, and so what the, th the thing that he's beginning to understand is that he is been recruited. He has been recruited for a work, and you have too. Now, there, there may be some listening today that are sitting in here thinking to yourselves, you know, I'm not interested in devoting my life to ministry, right? And maybe you've come from a place where this framework exists, this, this, this way of thinking about ministry exists. That's for the pastors and for the zealots, okay? That's for people who've trained in that, let them do that work. That's for the pastors, and that's for the people that are particularly hardcore, but that's, you know, that's not me. I've got other things on my agenda. And you may not say it that you know, overtly, uh, and you, 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 know, you may, you may ne uh, never verbalize that out loud, but people do think that way. And so maybe you wouldn't say it, 
But you might consider, you might consider to yourself that, that you know what, um, salvation, that was good. And I was, I'm, I was eager for salvation. I was eager to claim the cross. I was eager to be saved from my sins. And I'm, and I'm eager to learn from him. I like coming to church. I like learning things. I like learning about the 430 years of the captivity. And maybe you geek out on that stuff. I don't know. And maybe you're even eager to live a principled life, one that is of high character and morality. But the question I have for you is, are you eager to labor for him? Are you eager to labor for him, to give everything you have because he gave everything for you? And a lot of us, a lot of us, we give verbal assent or mental assent, but man, we don't live it. We don't live like someone died for us. Now, God knows that you're selfish, okay? So if he knows that, you can admit it to yourself. You're selfish. I'm selfish. But that's why he gave us 1 Corinthians chapter 3, because God's heart is so great towards his work of planting and sowing that he is willing to incentivize us for this work. He puts in place a reward system that is intended to remind Christians that what we do in this life has consequences. It matters. And how we live in this life leaves a mark. It has a legacy. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about God's construction project. Up to this point, the analogy has been farming, right? Paul's been using this idea of agriculture to paint a picture of investment for us. And we are God's husbandry, meaning that we ourselves are the product of his own farming in our lives. But the analogy here is going to change. It's going to shift gears towards this idea of construction, a picture of construction. And just like just like the church is the field of God that's been cultivated by him, we are also his building. And he is building something in us. And just as we are the farmers in the field that he's using, we are also the construction workers. We are the builders in his project. So we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are his building. And according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. So basically what Paul's saying here is that the church in Corinth is God's building. And God had contracted Paul to be a wise master builder. His responsibility was to lay the foundation of Christ. And it was others' responsibility to build upon that foundation. Okay? He was responsible for laying the foundation. And if we want to come up with uh, an equivocacy, okay, laying the foundation is similar to planting. Right? It's, a, it's similar to planting. Paul builds the foundation, and other people b- build upon that. That's the work of discipleship. Paul builds the foundation. That makes sense, especially in a modern perspective of how we understand construction. Okay? And if you've ever seen a foundation poured... Have you guys ever seen that, right? If you live in a place like in a suburb where house, you know, the housing market is booming, you'll often see neighborhoods where guys that pour foundations are just pouring foundations day after day after day, anticipating that other construction workers are going to come in. And if you've ever seen how that works, it's pretty fascinating. They'll take the, the, the um, architectural plan and they will build using forms. They will set up forms in the shape of the foundation that needs to be poured. And then the guys will come in with the the trucks 
And they'll pour into those forms a foundation. Okay, and now Paul's a perfect picture for this because all over Scripture he talks about the fact that he is our end sample, that he's a model, that him and the apostles are the form in which the, the foundation of Jesus Christ was poured. Philippians 3.17 says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have, ye have us for an ensample. And that word ensample means a mold. Paul says the church of Philipp, uh, to, the, uh, to the church at Philippi that he and the apostles were the ensamples, that they were the molds by which the gospel was poured. And it is the foundation in which they're responsible for building upon. Listen to what he says to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2.9 says, Now therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, uh, building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So you see the picture that's happening here, right? The foundation itself is Jesus Christ. But the people that, he, that God sends out into the world are responsible for pouring that foundation for which Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. We are the mold. We are the ensample. We are the planters. We are the laborers in this work. And the house of God is the body of Christ. We are the church. And when we come together, we make, the spirit, make up the spiritual house of God. That's what we do. The habitation of his spirit. And in Corinth, Paul laid the foundation. He planted the seed. And as he left, he left behind a work that other men were responsible for building upon. Men like Apollos and men like Crispus and Gaius, those that were left behind to do the work of discipleship are the ones that are responsible for making sure that the house is sure. Because here's the deal. Here's the truth that we need to understand. Is that even though the foundation of Jesus Christ is perfect in us, there is no surety that what, what's built upon that foundation is any good whatsoever. You know, one of the things about living in a, in a city with a lot of old houses, you know, in Kansas City's been around for 150 years, right? It's been around for a long time. There are old houses in our city. And some of you have owned old houses, own old houses, okay, currently. And uh, what you realize is that, that there's a difference between a house well-built and a house that's poorly built, right? And you can, see, you can see the results of poor construction work. You can see it. You can see it when, when windows won't open or shut, right? Some of you guys have that door frames that are like kind of wonky. But man, I've seen some houses. I used to work construction in college. I've seen some houses, even newer houses, that were so poorly built that within five to ten years, they were shifting off their foundation. Things weren't right. Things weren't working. The electrical was done poorly, right? I've seen homes that are, that are brand new, that are basically trash. And, and so what I'm pointing out to you is that, is that how we build the house is very, very important. How we build the house of God is very, very important. How we plant the seed and the way that we water, the way that we do discipleship, but the first thing I need you to understand is that this is the labor that you've been called to do. And one of the things I want to point out, too, is, is that the analogies that Paul uses here, they're not really that convenient for us, okay? Because construction 
and, and farming are two of the hardest professions. Like these are two of the most, the reason that you, a lot of you are in college is because you don't want to do things like construction and farming. It's hard work, isn't it? These are, the, these are the hardest workers on the planet. And God chose these pictures to show us how hard the work will be for us. That we need to anticipate that it's going to be difficult. It's going to be backbreaking. It's going to be hard to live the life of a preacher. It's going to be hard to live the life of a discipler. It's going to be hard for you to put your hand to the plow of ministry. It's going to be difficult for you. So know up front that there is no such thing as convenient Christianity. And if you want to find it, you're not going to find it here. I've got to warn you in advance. If we're going to do the work, it's going to be difficult. And because it's hard, because it's difficult, we need to be careful about how we do it. Because when work is hard, it's easy to cut corners. When work is difficult, it's easy to be neglectful. When the labor is hard, it's easy to be sloppy and to, go, and, and to grow lazy. It's easy to do that. And to assume that someone else is going to fix your problem, the mistakes that you make. And that's just not true. When you pick up a hammer, it's important how you swing it. And so we have to take heed. We have to take heed about how we build and how we do the work. So let's check out the warning associated with the construction work that God has given us. Look at verse 10, especially the second part here. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is our foundation, but the warning here is how we build. Take heed how we build. Why? Because there is potential to build an invalid structure upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Here's our key point. The spiritual soundness of this church is determined by us, by you and me. Whether or not the structure that God is building here is sound is dependent, is dependent on, how, on how we apply ourselves to be faithful laborers. And so when one member is weak, one construction worker is weak, well, then the work is weak. And what we build has potential to fall. And so you have to know your part, and you have to know that it must be right. While Christ is the perfect foundation, and no, you know, if Christ is the foundation that you've poured, then there's, there's something infallible about that, right? It itself is perfect. The foundations, you've been given a perfect foundation. So what, what means is everything that's been given to you is right, and the only way of screwing it up is to be neglectful, is to be lazy. And we can build lots of really crappy projects upon a foundation. We could do all kinds of things wrong. It's our playground. It's our, it's, it's our sandbox. But you've got to take heed about how you build upon that foundation. Because if there's going to be a legacy, if there's going to be something left behind, it's got to be right. So here's some things that we need to consider is that what we teach matters to this building. 
What we teach matters to this building. We don't get to just teach anything we want. We have to, we, we can't just, we just can't just come in here and, 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 you know, when you meet for discipleship, you don't get to share your opinions or the traditions of men. We're teaching the word of God. And how we divide it matters. And how we present it matters. And we can't afford to let otherworldly perspectives creep in and look Christian. We can't do that. What we teach matters. Our holiness matters to this building. Our holiness matters to this work. Your holiness matters. How you carry yourself and what you do with your life when no one's looking, you know that matters to the building project. The way you think and the way you you preoccupy yourself when you're not here with us, what, what you do with your life, it absolutely matters and your holiness matters. Our unity matters to this building project. We have to work together. We have to be on the same page. We have to be lockstep. We have to be lock-armed. Our harmony matters to this project because if everybody builds the way they want to build, we're going to have a mess on our hands. Our sacrifice of time, energy, these things matter to the building project. Note that Paul refers to himself as a master builder. Dang, man. Master builder, huh? You just get to call yourself that? You just get to claim that? No, no, we read Acts, didn't we? We read Acts. Paul was a master builder. He was a master builder. And this implies that the labor of spiritual construction has a variety of types of workers in the trade and a variety of qualifications in terms of their development. So the the guild system has existed for thousands of years, okay? And the guild system... Was a, was a way of thinking about training up laborers to do construction projects, to work at establishing infrastructure in cities. And so for thousands of years, long before even the Greeks, there were forms of guild systems. And we have them even today. We call them the union. Okay? We call them the, the, the builder's union or the plumber's union. And within these structures, there are generally three different levels. There's the apprentice, and there's the journeyman, And then there's the master. Now, he's using this. He's invoking this way of thinking to say, there are master builders in the work of which I am one. I am a master builder. Okay? That's what Paul's saying here. And so what we need to understand that the same thing's true in our faith. There are apprentices. And an apprentice is a new disciple learning to handle their tools. And some of you in here, some of you in here, are apprentices. You're apprentices. You're new to the work. You're learning your tools of the trade. You're applying yourself. You're brand new disciples. You're learning to follow Jesus Christ. All of this is new to you, and that's okay. The great thing about an apprentice is an apprentice is given space to labor. They're given space to work. It's not like, it's not like your, your academic education where for the most part you sit in a classroom and you get a grade and then they kick you out the door, they give you some sort of, of, of certificate saying that you've learned something and you've never done anything with your life. You've never actually done anything. You learned a bunch of stuff. 
And there are very few systems of learning left where, where you're, you're asked to actually do work. The medical system kind of understands this. The medical world kind of still understands this. And they still have a system like this because guess what? They don't want people performing surgery on your body who haven't already practiced. We were, I was talking to, to Braden recently. He's working with cadavers. Why? Because that's a safe place to play around. That's a safe place to learn how to do things. Guess what? He's learning the tools of his trade. He is apprenticing in the work. And in our faith, there's very similar ideas. And we need to start as apprentices. That needs to be okay. We don't need to be too big for our britches. We can't just turn you loose. I'm not going to give you the pulpit next week, bro. Okay? Start, start where you need to start. Learn your tools and be a disciple. Be an apprentice. Next, there's journeyman. Journeymen are practice disciples. They're certified to work the field. These are men and women who are learning the trade. They understand it. They're given more independence. They're growing, and they're, they're proving the fact that they're learning and that they get it. They get it. They have a vision. And then there's masters. These are the veteran disciples who are versatile in their investment and proven to be knowledgeable. And that versatility is a big deal. Right? That, that versatility, that ability to, to have a, a, a solution from God's word for any, any given matter. It's a big deal. And we have, we have similar ideas here even in the body of Christ. And you are growing in your ability to labor. You're growing in your ability. And guess what? Everyone in this room, it's my hope that everyone in this room is growing towards being master builders in the ministry of God. You're growing that direction. And one day, and one day, God's going to give you a lot of hard... The thing about laboring is that it's never easy. Even the master builder does hard work. But Paul says, by the grace of God, he was given the privilege of being a master builder. But that didn't happen overnight. That took time. It took training. It took mistakes. I mean, Paul, Paul spent three years in the desert relearning alone by himself with the Lord, relearning everything he knew about following God. And then he had to go to Jerusalem, and that was rough, and we're not going to repaint that whole story. We spent two years doing it. But Paul learned. It didn't happen overnight for him. He became a master builder. He wasn't born into it. And the same thing's true for you. When you see a spiritually mature believer being used by God who is knowledgeable, Knowledgeable in ministry. That didn't happen overnight. That happened by grace and it happened by time. Now, we do build. Okay, we're building. We're laboring. We're building this thing. We're building God's church. We're building God's church at 40th and Walnut. We're building, we're building the work here. And, and, and some left to go build the work in Tampa. And some left to go build the work in Boston. And some are leaving to go build the work in Saigon. But we are building and we're doing the work. Now, here's the deal. The work that we do, it has an inspector, okay? There is a chief inspector who will look at the work and judge it not by its quantity, but by its quality. Not by how much you got done on paper. Not how spiritual your Instagram account is. Not how spiritual you think you behave yourself. Okay, not, not, not by, you know, 
Not by the, the quantity of your work, but by the quality of what he sees. That's a big deal. God is so serious about this work of building that at the end of our lives, he is going to inspect our work. He's going to test to see how well it was done. And the test that he performs is referred to as the judgment seat. The judgment seat. Some of you have heard that term before. Some of you have not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 talks about the judgment seat. Wherefore we labor, okay, there's that idea again, labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. There's a lot there. I'd love to study that, but we're not going to. I want to point something out to you. Our labor is going to be inspected at the judgment seat of Christ. It is going to be tried. It is going to be tested for what sort that it is. So whether we pass away, we die, maybe you die of old age. Maybe Christ puts off his return and you die of old age. Or, or you're one of the privileged that are raptured out. One thing is for sure. After the rapture happens, after the rapture of Jesus Christ, after he comes to get his bride, the next thing that happens is the judgment seat. There will be very little time for celebrating. There will be little time for indulging in the, the benefits of heaven. There will be very little time for, for having a party. Okay? That's coming. That's coming. The feast is coming. But the very first thing that you're going to encounter is the judgment seat. And the judgment seat is the judgment of every individual Christian and every saint that has ever lived throughout all of history. And it's the place where God reviews the quality of our labor, of our building, and determines what has eternal legacy, an eternal value. Now, you often also hear uh, us talk about the great white throne judgment, right? And this is a different judgment. It's a judgment that's spoken of in Revelation. It's a judgment for the lost. And so all that have ever lived upon the face of the earth, will, who, who never received Jesus Christ, who never received God, who never believed upon God at his word, they'll stand before the great white throne judgment. And it is where they will see replayed over and over again their rejection of the truth. And in that moment, they will be damned to hell for eternity. That is the great white throne judgment. Now, now for those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have to be concerned with that judgment. We need to be concerned about the judgment seat where our work is tried. And that, that, that trial, that judgment seat is likened in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to a fire. And the fire reveals something about our lives. It passes through the fire, and what comes out on the other side reveals whether or not our work was of any quality. Verse 12, you awake? Yes. Stay with me. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. So what we learn here 
is that there are two categories of building materials. There are the materials that we, these are the materials that we use to build out our lives and the church. These are the categories. And the fire of God's judgment will pass over the narrative of our lives. The story of your life. We like to talk about our lives in terms of story now. Because that's what the cool pop psychology Christian culture thing to do is, is to refer to our lives as stories, okay? Right? You're writing your story. How are you going to write your story? Okay, so let's use that. We'll run with it. God's trying fire is going to pass over the narrative of your life. You do live a linear life. It is a lot like a story. And he will pass over that story. And some things may make it through. A lot of it won't. A lot of it won't. Verse 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by the fire. It will be revealed. And the fire will try every man's work of what sort it is. So here's the key point before we dig into these categories. The fire reveals either legacy or loss. That's it. It'll reveal either legacy or loss. And what do you want? That's the question. What do you want? And what building materials are you working with? Category number one, that's the eternal things. Eternal things. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, and then it lists a few things there, right? Gold, silver, precious stones. So let's look at these real quick. The very first thing we see is gold. And gold, as we learned not too long ago from Jeff Bartell and our friend Harrison Brashears, gold is the value of worship. Gold is the value of worship. And worship means sacrifice. Worship means giving our life to glorifying God. That's what worship means. And gold pictures for us. Gold pictures for us whether or not our lives had any value in terms of worship. Do you have a personal lifestyle of sacrifice unto the Lord? Do you worship God in his word? Do you? I mean, you know you know, you don't. I mean, think about the last week. How much time did you spend worshiping in God's word? These are simple questions. Did you do that? Do you worship God in his word? Do you worship in the congregation? When you come in here, are you too busy thinking about the quality of the music or the type of music or whether or not they hit every note or what you're going to be doing for lunch or what, whatever it is, whatever enters your mind and you chase, it out, you chase after it like a dog after a bone? Or are you actually worshiping here? Are you worshiping in your behavior? We've got young men back there right now worshiping back there at the AV table. Praise the Lord. We've got a hospitality team that's going to run through here and they're going to clean up this room after you're done. The things you leave behind and they're going to worship the Lord. Their heart is in a posture of worship before God. And any action that they do that follows that is worship before him. Any thought that they think. Any holy and righteous feeling they feel towards God. These are all forms of worship. Are you worshiping? Do you have a motivation for worship? I know there are a lot of complex motivations that we have, especially in the College of Young Adult Ministry. 
We come here with all kinds of motivations. People show up in this ministry, they got all kinds of motivations. Motivations to be seen. Motivations to be understood. They want people to listen to them. There's people here that the only reason that they're here is to look for a spouse. And that's your motivation, is that you're going to find, you're going to find your significant other here. That's what you think. Over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> but these motivations, they can be wrong a lot of the time. They can be wrong. And they affect, they affect our judgment seat. See, gold is the building block of our worship. And God will try your work for what sort it is, and it will reveal whether or not you were here and in it for his glory. It will reveal it even if you can't see it all the time, even if you've convinced yourself that you're doing the right thing. It will be revealed of what sort it is. Silver, the value of God's word. The value of God's word. Psalm 12, 6 says, The, word of the, Lord, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So the connection of silver is knowing God's word and preaching it. Knowing it, learning it, and preaching it. That is the value of silver, the value of God's word. And silver is the building block of sharing the gospel with other people. Silver could very easily be likened to whether or not you're willing to mature in your faith in God's word and also go out and evangelize. Are you willing to do that? And so you need to ask yourself, what sort is your work? What sort is it? Precious stones, that's the value of souls. In the scripture, stones are almost always likened unto mankind, to people. 1 Peter 2, 4 says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious Ye also are lively stones, <clears throat> are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. You are like lively stones that are building up a house, right? You see the connection there? Ooh, deep, deeper connections. You are lively stones fit together like the body of Christ, members joined together. All of the analogies are coming together now, aren't they? You are like those stones and, and, and the stones that comprise the house of God. And the question is, do we value people's souls? Do we value to go out into the world and add stones to the work? Do we desire for those stones to be precious before the living God? So precious stones is the investment we make in the sanctification and edification of people. The discipleship of believers. Precious stones are the building block of souls. So what do we learn here? That investing our labor into the work of worship and knowing God's word and evangelizing, these things have an eternal legacy. They are the things that make it through the fire. Now let's be honest with ourselves. Right now, not everything that we've built with is gold and silver and precious stone. Now, the construction work is not done. You can go through and, and you can dig out what's not right. But listen to me, a lot of, a lot of the narrative has passed, hasn't it? 20 years have passed, 25 years have passed in your life, and there's wood, hay, and stubble behind you. Well, what is that? What is that, what is that building material? What is that? Here's the other category. 
The other category is temporal things. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, wood, hay, or stubble. Wood is dead trees. That's what wood is. Wood is dead trees. And what we learn from Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, and Mark chapter 8, verse 24, we learn that men are like trees. Human beings are like trees. Our flesh, our flesh is like, like trees. So wood is an allusion to flesh, to the flesh of men. Hey, hey, what's that? Hey is dead grass. 1 Peter 1.24 says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. So hay is an allusion to our flesh as well, isn't it? Stubble. What's stubble? It's dead wheat. Stubble is dead wheat. John chapter 12, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if, if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. It's an allusion to man. It's an allusion to dead man. Now, here's the deal. What do we learn from this? What do we learn? That the other materials are wood, hay, and stubble. All dead things. All dead flesh. Void. Vain. Empty. What does that mean? It means that we can build with materials that are fleshly in nature. We can give our lives serving ourselves. We can give our lives preoccupied with with entertaining ourselves, the good job, the good house, the good wife, the good 401k, whatever it is, focusing our attention and our energy on all the... You know you can do ministry in your flesh too? I just want Brandon to recognize who I am. I just want my Bible study leader to understand that I'm, I'm smarter than they think I am, that I know a thing or two. I just want to be known for this or that. And so we approach ministry from a selfish perspective and we take and take and take and we're actually robbing the ministry rather than giving to it. And we're wasting our time and we're ruining our story and we're setting upon the foundation things that are not sure, that are not true. And we're setting up a structure, not only in your own life, but in the lives of these people in this room. We're setting up a fallible institution. And we've got to be careful because what you do in this work, it affects the person sitting next to you. It's a work we do together. In some of our lives, in some of the things that we've done, they will burn up. There's no doubt about it. If you look back on your past, you know there's things there that are going to burn. There's nothing you can do about that. But you can build for sure moving forward. God is willing to forget those things, to put those things behind you that you might move forward and become the master builder that you're supposed to be. What are you wasting your life with? Throw it away. Because if you burn that chaff now, if you do away with it now, it will ensure that the work tomorrow will be right. You are expected to labor for the Lord so that there's a good ending so there's a good ending because there's a good and there's a bad ending. There's both. Verse 14. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, 
he shall suffer loss. But if he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So let's talk about the loss first. Let's get that out of the way. So anybody that builds with wood, hay, and stubble, that, that lives a life enduring and focusing on the flesh, self-gratification, any person that spends their life doing that, I don't care. I don't care. The fact that you're saved, that's amazing. That's a wonderful thing. Listen, what this story tells us, this analogy tells us, is that there are some people that are saved that will stand before God ashamed of their lives. And you, you may get to heaven. You may be saved. You may have an eternal inheritance in heaven. But you can stand before him weeping and regretful. You can stand before him ashamed. It says here, yet so as by fire. That means that everything might be scorched and you might, just, you might just be standing before God with nothing to show for it. And listen, if you think that you think going to heaven is going to be all like butterflies and cupcakes, right? And you think that we're just going to have a good old time and immediately we're going to party. Listen to me, there's tears in heaven. There is weeping and regret in heaven. Right here at the judgment seat, it proves it. And there will be people when God's judgment fire passes over their lives, they are going to stand with very little to show for the, for the 40, 50, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that they live. They'll have very little to show for it because they did a lot of pew sitting. They did a lot of activity. They had a good life. But they did not invest their energy in the labor of God's word, the labor of souls, and the labor of discipleship. Those things are the only thing that will remain. And for those that invest that way, there will be a reward. There will be a reward for them. And that reward, we don't have time to get into it, is rulership in his kingdom. That reward is an opportunity to have position in his kingdom. It's an opportunity to have a crown that looks like you did something with your life. So here, this, I want to address this issue of legacy real quick because I've been using that word and I haven't defined it yet and I want to define it as we close. When I talk about a legacy, it's important that we all understand what, what we mean by that. The very first thing is this. Our Christian legacy is what we inherit from God as a, a reward for our labor. He, he has a legacy for us. As a, as a good father, I want to leave a legacy behind. So I'm, I'm saving money in my life so that my kids can have thing like, things like college, right? So they can have a, they can have a good life that they're, 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 they're provided for. When I die, I want to leave something to them. And that's what God's done for us. For those of us who labor for it, he has a legacy for us. He has an inheritance, and that's what we mean. There's something that he bestows upon those who labor for him and choose to, to follow him with everything that they have. There's a legacy for you. But there's another kind of legacy that we have. There's a Christian legacy that's what we leave as an inheritance for other people, what we leave behind when we're gone. I don't know if you saw on Tuesday night, um, but after service got over, um, a bunch of guys had a, did a photo opportunity up on the stage. You see that? And on the stage stood Kenny Morgan, okay, Pastor Kenny Morgan. 
And there stood next to him Eliseo Gomez. And then stood next to him Andrew Ong. And then stood next to him a group of men in this ministry that are growing rapidly. A group of about nine or ten guys in all. And so what that showed was that discipleship leaves a legacy. It leaves something behind. So that when Kenny's old, I mean older, When he's old and he, and, and he takes his last breath, he can be confident that what he's left behind is sure, it's true, it's sound, it's right. So the foundation of our faith will not be compromised by bad builders. He can know that. And you can too. You leave a legacy behind. And so this, this idea of a dynamic of spiritual legacy is super important for us to understand because we don't just invest for no reason. And guess what? You don't just invest for the reward that you get. So the whole idea of the reward system itself is God's way of ensuring that, you're, that you don't only receive an inheritance, but that you leave an inheritance behind. That's the whole point. God is brilliant in that way. He's like, hey, I got something for you if you want to do some work. But the whole point, the whole motivation is that he's building a house in these people, in this city, in this world. And you can have a part and you can leave behind a legacy so that I know that when I'm gone, there are other men and women who will come in and they will follow in my stead. I can know that. And you can too. But you, but you can't waste your life. What will God say of you when you stand before him in heaven? What will he say of you? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Will he say that? What will people say of you when you're gone? The people you leave behind. Will people remember your investment in their life? Will they look at the photo of you and all your disciples fondly? Are there people left in the wake of your labor who will, la who will labor uh, themselves and devote themselves to the work who are forever changed and set free to serve the Lord? Are there people in your wake like that? Have you produced fruit that will multiply? Uh, some of you are, are hearing all this and you're saying to yourself, man, I just started. This is a lot of pressure. I just got saved. I just started discipleship. I just started coming to this weird church. Okay? Chill. I know, I get, I get what I'm asking is, is difficult for some people to hear. But listen to me. Listen, can, let me say this. This is super important to understand. Jesus Christ saved you. And if your salvation was good enough for him, he would have taken you away in the moment you accepted him. Oh, come on home. We'll kick it. We'll party. We'll have a grand old time. You've accepted me, let's go. That's what he would, if his, if his salvation in your life was, was all that he wanted, if it was the only motivation, the majority of this room would not be here right now. We would be with him in his presence. But, it, but he has a motivation that goes beyond this. You understand? He's left you here despite the turmoil, the difficulty, the temptations, the trials, the sad times, the low places, the valleys, he left you here despite all that. 
to endure all of it, to go through the suffering because he's got a work for you to do. And one day you will come home and you will stand with him. And he will say, he will say to you, either you've just barely made it, come on in, or well done, good and faithful servant. He will, he will say one or two, you just, you just barely made it, son. I built all this for you. I built all this for you. And man, you sure lived like I didn't. You sure, you sure wasted your life. But come on, come on in. Or he'll say, he'll look you in the eyes and he'll say, And you get to have it your way. You get to have it your way. He's given you a free will. So stop putting off the work. Stop putting it off. There's plenty of work to do. Come on. You're not promised tomorrow. It's time to work now. Does the knowledge of the judgment seat provoke you to consider your inheritance? I hope it does. I hope it does. I want to invite the worship team up. And we're going to close with, this is the invitation today. Listen to me. Stay focused, please. This is the invitation. If you know that if at any time you've been laboring in vain for the Lord, you've had the wrong motivations, you've been focused on the wrong thing, if at any time, if at any time you've spent your life pursuing vain things, if you've got an addiction to video games, I don't know what it is. I can't speak into every situation in this room. But you're just spinning your wheels and you're calling yourself a Christian, but your life has been just, just so wasted even over, maybe it's just over the last month. Maybe there was a time in which you were, you were building well. You were laboring well. But recently you've just been so distracted. Come repent of that. Come burn that chaff up before God ever has to get to it. Come dispose of that stubble. Do something with it. Put it before the Lord. Let him deal with it now so, so he won't have to deal with it later. Let's do that. But here's the other thing I want to point out is that there are some people in here who won't see the, uh, the, the judgment seat. There are people in this room, you know for a fact, because you are not a Christian, because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you won't stand at the judgment seat and your labor will not be assessed. In fact, it's worse than that. There's a rec record of every sin that you've ever committed and God has it. There's a record of every impure thought, every impure action, Everything you've ever done wrong, there's a record, and it's waiting at a judgment called the great white throne. And it's for those people who've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior in order to have their sins pardoned. And I want to invite you forward because you need a pardoning. You need to be pardoned of all the wood, hay, and stubble in your life. 
You need to be set free. You need to be accepted in the beloved so that you don't stand at that great white throne judgment and so that you don't have a destiny and an eternity of loss in hell. Do you understand? Hard truth. Hard truth, but there is a hell. And there is a judgment for people who do not receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I want to invite you to make that right. Jesus Christ didn't come in vain. He came to labor. He came to suffer. He came to give his life for you. And God is inviting you. Come have your sins pardoned. Come seek forgiveness. I love you. I love you. Will you accept me the way I'm trying to accept you? And if that's you, you need to come forward. There's going to be counselors standing up here, and there's going to be counselors in the back. If you have anything that you need to work through, as a believer or a person who wants to be a believer, come forward and get that dealt with. We, we, need, we need to know that our lives have worth and meaning. It's the whole pursuit it's the whole pursuit. It's all, all, all artwork that's ever been made, all creative thinking that's ever been made throughout the history of mankind. Go down to the Nelson, walk around. All of it's about one thing. Does my life have any meaning? Every song that's ever been written, every romantic feeling that we've ever had, anytime we've stood on a mountaintop and looked out across the horizon, same thought, same thought. Does my life have any meaning? Does it? Does it? That's a question that can only be answered between you and the living God. Get it dealt with today. Know that your life can have meaning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, uh, you know, I've just looked at this room for an hour. and And I've made eye contact with a lot of people in here. I have no idea what it is that you're doing this morning, but I know that you have an objective. And so, Lord, I ask, because I know that you have a will in mind, that that there's a work that you want to do in our midst, because you, above all, are the master builder. And you, above all, are the husbandman. And you have a husbandry, and you have a building, and that's us, and you want to have your perfect way. So we invite you to come and inspect the fruit right now. Come and look, look in the soul, into the souls of every person in this room, Lord, as we close our eyes and we're praying to you. Lord, would you reveal to every individual in this room the truth of their heart, the truth of their mind, the truth of who they are before you? Would you show them? And would you allow them to not be complacent over that matter? Draw them out of their seat and cause them to come forward and to make a decision for you once and for all. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.